It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. Again, we've been walking through and uh, looking at this prayer that Paul's praying uh, for those not only in Ephesus, but by extension, uh, all of us. And so if you have your Bibles, we'd love to read, starting in verse 14 in chapter 3. Uh, this is what Paul says. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all, all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Uh, there's a phenomenal progression in the passage, <clears throat> and we've been in this, uh, but I just want to point this out to you. Uh, when you look at verse 17, <clears throat> Paul makes this statement that Christ is to dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, why is that? And as you, as you keep progressing through the passage, it seems like he is building his case and he's building this progression. So again, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that... You being rooted and grounded in love. <clears throat> so somehow the you being rooted and grounded in love is coming out of the outflow of Christ dwelling in your hearts. Which makes sense. If Christ is at the very center of my life, well, why, why is that so important? Well, it's so that you, you can take your life <clears throat> and root it and ground it in love. Which again, we've been saying is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a person. And then he continues and he keeps going on from that so that you would be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. So it's interesting. It's like you have this little progression going on, and each one is building upon the one before it, and this thing is increasing in intensity, getting to the point, which we're going to look at eventually. I think it's the next one. Uh, that you, be, you would be filled up to all the fullness of God which is an incredible thought when you, when you just ponder that. What would it mean for your life, <clears throat> mean, excuse me, for your life to be filled up to all the fullness of God? But we'll look at that next time. Uh, we've been looking at this idea over these last couple of sessions at verse 17, and that we are finally getting out of verse 17. In case you thought we'd never get out of verse 17, uh, we are moving into verse 18. <laughs> and verse 19. Oh. We're making up lost ground. <clears throat> so again, I, just, I want you to just notate uh, this progression, but I think it's phenomenal. Uh, last time we were looking at this idea of being in love and that you are to be rooted and grounded in love. Not an emotion, not a feeling, but a person. And he, Paul flows out of that into verse 18 and 19. And he says this, uh, that you being rooted and grounded in love might be able to comprehend with all the saints, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of, of Christ. Uh, that word, 
comprehend, uh, it's really interesting. The word comprehend has this idea. It's katalabano uh, in, in, the, in the Greek. It's used 15 times in the New Testament. And it's this idea to reach out and seize, to grab a hold of, uh, to take possession of, to understand, uh, to grasp. It's that kind of an idea. And uh, of the 15 times it's used in the New Testament, uh, sometimes it's used in the sense of intellect. Uh, for example, oh, I've, I've grabbed a hold of it. I can understand it. Uh, I, I have comprehended it, which is obviously how it's being used here. It's used in an intellectual sense. That, that there, here's this body of information. I've reached out and now I'm possessing it. I'm grabbing a hold of it. I am laying a hold of it. I'm comprehending it. Uh, sometimes this word, comprehend, uh, is translated to catch, right? It's that idea you grab and you seize it. For example, uh, the, the couple of times in the Gospels where it says that there was this woman caught in adultery. That's this word, which is kind of an odd thought if you think about it. But what, what happened? Hey, they reached out and she was grabbed in the middle of adultery. That she was seized in the middle of all this. Uh, sometimes this word is used in the sense of winning a prize. And in other words, I'm, I'm, I crossed the finish line. And why did I cross the finish line? Oh, so I can grab a hold of and seize the prize. And if you want a passage, I love this one. 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And that word, may win, is our word, katalabano, that you may grab a hold of it. Hey, run in such a way that you can catch it. Grab a hold that you can actually seize it. That's the idea. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, it's interesting, this word shows up two times, and the root word, labano, shows up one time as well. So our word, katalabano, has the root, or has the root labano, and then the prefix kata, I just lost all of you. But anyway, it shows up three times in the passage, uh, one as the main word and two as our, our official word. So listen to this. <clears throat> Paul in Philippians 3.12 says, not that I've already obtained it. <clears throat> obtained it. That's the word labano. That's that main word. And it has this idea to obtain, to grab. Not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of, that's our word, that for which I was Laid hold of, that's our word, by Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Uh, that word, comprehend, I uh, looked it up in the Old Testament, in the uh, Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. And it's used over 100 times in the Old Testament. And one of the ways, <clears throat> or one of the primary ways it's translated in the Old Testament, this just uh, so fascinated me. And I don't even know what you want to do with it. But the way it's often translated in the Old Testament is this idea of like overtaking or capturing a city. Isn't that interesting? So here I am, I'm in a battle, and I come up to this city or I come to this person, and I capture the person. I come over and I capture the city. And I just grab and I lay siege and I, I take it off. Or just take, you know, just run off with it. That's this idea. And I don't know, when we're talking about this idea of comprehending love, is it that I have, if, if I'm using that idea to capture it or to, to overcome it or to take control, is it, is it this idea that I come in and I grab a hold of love and now I've captured love? 
Or is it more like somehow in the midst of me grabbing a hold of love, it actually captures me? Does that make any sense? Because it seems more likely if you're looking at this idea of love, I, there's no, how am I going to capture love? How am I going to overcome? And just like, like, like here's this Old Testament character who, who overtakes this city, who captures a city, uh, captures this king. How do I do that with love? And I think maybe a better way of understanding this idea of the love thing is maybe that as I'm reaching out and seizing it, it actually consumes me and it overtakes me. I don't even do that. Just, just an interesting thought. But Paul says in our passage <clears throat> that you, with all the saints, might be able to comprehend that somehow you can reach out, lay siege, grab a hold of, and understand the overwhelming love of God. Now that word, might be able to, that may be able to, this is the only time in the entire New Testament that shows up, that word, may be able to. Uh, the root word of that is the word iskis, which is that power, it's that ability, that resource, ugh, kind of thing, uh, but it has a prefix on it, and when you put it in this context, <clears throat> or when you look at this word, it's this idea that you have the ability, you have the strength, you have the uh, power, you have the oomph, uh, that you might be fully able to do something. But, and again, don't, don't lose, don't, don't let me lose you here. Uh, but in the Greek, it's in the subjunctive. So again, we've, we've talked about imperatives before. An imperative is a command. A subjunctive is, is like the realm of possibility. It could be, it might not be. And there's, there's a question. It's, it's up in the realm of possibility. So if you, if you take that and you look at our passage, you might be able to, you may, you may not be able to comprehend with all the saints. So Nathan, are you, are you saying that I might not get this? That's not what I'm saying. Because when you look at the passage, it is in the realm of possibility. This is not guaranteed. Hey, you, may, you might miss out on this. But, think about this, Paul's prayer is that you might be able to, with all the saints, and by the way, you're included in the in all the saints, that if you're a Christian, you are now called a saint. We're not talking about the dead guys you hang on the walls, if you're from that variety, okay? I'm not suggesting you do that, you know, but, right, that's not a saint. Well, what's a saint? Biblically, a saint is the one that's been made holy. The word, the word saint actually means a holy one. And if you go to the Ephesians chapter 1, he's writing to the saints in Ephesus. He's not writing to dead people. He's writing to the believers. And these are new Christians. I mean, they've, they, I mean, they've been around for a few years, but hey, the, these are not, well, we're been 80, we've been in the church for 80 years. This is, hey, we've been, hey, Paul preached to us a few years ago, and now we're believers, and but I'm filled with the Spirit of God, and he's making me holy. What, what, what do we call people like that? Christians. We call them saints. Isn't that phenomenal? Okay, maybe you're not excited, but I think that's awesome. <clears throat> and you're included in this, which means that when Paul is praying that somehow you might be able to reach out and grab a hold of this reality called love, hey, this is available to all the saints. But it's not guaranteed, which means you're going to have to go after this. This isn't just like, well, you know, I'll, I'll sit here and I'm going to wait for it. 
Yeah, I got my lotto ticket and I'm waiting for my numbers to be called. That's not this idea. Uh, the idea almost in this passage is uh, here is this huge swimming pool and it's available. Do you want to jump in? In fact, just get to the edge, look in it, and someone will come behind you and just push you. And you'll just fall in. And That's more of this idea. Hey, it's not guaranteed you're going to get in the water, but why don't you just jump? Because it's available to you. So, so ponder this. Paul is saying that, hey, you have been rooted and grounded in love. Hey, that's true. If you're a Christian, you have been rooted and grounded in the person of Jesus. But he says, oh, do you know what my desire is, though? The fact that you have been rooted and grounded in love, my passionate desire, says Paul, is that you would somehow be able to grab a hold of, understand, lay siege, just grasp the love of Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? And Paul says, it's not guaranteed because hey, this is a subjunctive thing. This is a realm of possibility. You may get it. You may not get it. But the you may or may not get it is not based on, well, is he, am I going to get that Christmas gift this year? I really hope I get it. I may or I may not. That, see, that's not this idea. This idea is it's, it's there. It is available. You can have it. The real question is, do you want it? And are you going to pursue it? And are you going to go after it? And are you just going to be open? Are you just going to say, God, I need it? Does that make sense? So all you've got to do is just jump in and you can have it. But does that mean you're going to jump in? No. So it's in the realm of possibility. But why wouldn't you want to jump in? Why wouldn't you just want to go crazy for Jesus? All right, you're, you guys are not awake this morning. But this is awesome. So look at this. Paul says that you might be able, he's praying, that you might be able to somehow comprehend, understand, grab a hold of, lay siege, get this, with all the saints, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. Uh, it's interesting that he's talking about the boundaries or the dimensions of love. And uh, you, you realize we live in a multi-dimensional world, right? We, we, we typically say we live in a four-dimensional world, right? We have height, width, depth, and time. Uh, scholars tell us that the best that we know, we live in a 10-dimensional world. We're not experiencing all 10 dimensions, but we live in a 10-dimensional world. And what you want to do with all that, I have no idea. But it is interesting to me that Paul uses four different words for, for four dimensions, he says that you would know the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. <clears throat> now, it's hard to see this, but in the Greek grammar, the Greek grammar does not suggest that these are all synonyms, meaning they are not saying all the same thing. And he's just saying it in different ways. The Greek grammar suggests that you have to take these as a group and understand them as a group. In other words, he's expressing the boundaries. He's expressing the uh, the expanse of love. And isn't it a phenomenal thought? That he says, somehow you might be able to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of love. Well, what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of love? Well, there's no boundaries to that. 
Let me... I was looking up some scholars, and one scholar walked through each of these and said the Bible talks about the actual dimensions of love. That, do you know how much, how deep the love of God goes? The love, the love of God is so deep that God was willing to leap off his throne and become a man and die upon a cross. That that's the depth of the love. Well, what, what is the length of love? There is, the length of love is eternity. This thing's going to go on forever. So he was kind of give, like given the dimensions. And if you want to go that direction, eh, whatever. But it seems like the whole emphasis of the passage is that he's saying that if you were to somehow grab a hold of the, of the love of God, the love of God actually is incomprehensible. Like, how are you going to begin to understand the love of God? How are you going to wrap your mind? It's like trying to wrap your mind around the universe. Good luck. Because we're just one little tiny planet in a little solar system in a little galaxy of all the billions of galaxies. I mean, how do you wrap your mind around that? And you realize the love of God is just is so infinite. It is so beyond. It is so, what are the boundaries of his love? There is no, there is no boundary. It's like, it's like the Galatians 5 passage, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What are the limits of these things? There are no limits. There is no law. So how on earth are you supposed to wrap your mind around the expanse of the love of God? I don't know if you can. Uh, Paul in Romans chapter 8 says, uh, this is Romans 8.35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? I mean, have you ever pondered how big the love of Christ is? And Paul says, who can separate us from that kind of love? From his overwhelming, infinite love, who can separate us? And he begins to make a list. Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? Can, can any of those things separate us from the love of Christ? Of course, the answer is no. And he continues in verse 37. He says, no, in, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced. Now listen to this. He says, I am convinced. Hey, you cannot persuade me that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of, of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, this thing is so big. This thing is so immense. This thing is so aggressive. What can stop it? Paul says, nothing. Uh, mention the, uh, that hymn, The Love of God. Let me just read it to you again, because you've all forgotten. Uh, but the love of God, love, love this hymn. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. And then listen to the third verse, favorite verse. Could we with ink the ocean fill, 
and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretch from sky to sky. Isn't that beautiful? And if you're sitting there going, I, I, it's poetry. I have no idea what it said. Here's the idea. <clears throat> the writer says, if we could take all the waters of the ocean and make every droplet of water ink, and then we could take the expanse of the sky, and maybe not Colorado, but imagine like Texas, right, where the sky just somehow seems bigger, right? And if we can take the expanse of the sky and we, we turn it into parchment, like paper, and then we were, we were to take every blade of grass and every twig and every tree limb, and those became writing utensils. And then every single person on the planet, all they did for the rest of their lives became scribes, and all they did is write, 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 write. The, the writer of the hymn says, for us to write and describe that love of God You would drain the oceans before you could finish talking about the love of God. That's amazing. That's true. That when we're talking about the reality of the love of God, we're talking about something so immense, so expansive, so phenomenal, so beyond comprehension. Why? Because we're talking about him. So Paul says, let's ponder this. Paul says, here you are rooted and grounded in love, that person. And I'm praying that you would be able to somehow comprehend, understand, reach out, grab a hold of the fullness of love. The height, the length, the width, the depth. Can you do that? No. No. But yes, and it's, a, I, it's just an interesting paradox. It's, it's almost as fun irony in the passage. Because how do you begin to understand something that is incomprehensible? How, how are you going to get your mind? How are you going to lay a hold of? How are you going to grasp something that is impossible to grasp? Uh, I don't know what illustration would be helpful for you, or, or me, actually, for <laughs> that matter. Uh, it's interesting that we have love. Why? We're rooted and grounded in that. But yet, it's as we're rooted and grounded, it somehow gives us the ability to reach out and grab a hold of, and our minds can somehow begin to understand the limitless reality of his love. And yet, as we consistently progress and understand the overwhelming love, we realize that the love only gets bigger, which means there's only more for us to try to get a hold of and understand. In other words, the more you get it, the less you have. Because you realize the more you get, the more... There's there more there is to grab a hold of. Haven't you ever done that with some information? So you start to learn something. And uh, so you start to learn. You're like, oh, I think I have this figured out. But the moment you start to have this thing figured out, you realize, oh, no. 
there's actually, this is actually bigger than I thought it was at the beginning. So at the beginning, you, you thought there was like three pieces of information you had to know, but the moment you start and grab a hold of one of those pieces of information, you realize there's no longer three pieces of information, there's now like a million. So you're like, all right, well, I guess there's a million. And so, so I go after and I grab a hold of five of those pieces. And suddenly, as you get into the fifth one, you realize there's actually not even a million. Now there's like a quadrillion. And this thing is growing. So the more you get, because I went from one to three to five, the more I'm gaining, the more I, I realize actually I have less than I thought I had. Because this thing keeps growing. Wouldn't that be amazing if that's true with love? That this thing is so incomprehensible, this thing is so immense, and yet the more that I pursue him and the more I go after him and the more I start to get a hold of him, the more I get, but the more I realize there's more to get. Uh, whether, whether you like the series or not, there's this great illustration in the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, C.S. Lewis in Prince Caspian, uh, the kiddos had been there during the Line of the Witch and Wardrobe scene, right, that, in that book. And they go back into England, and Prince Caspian, the, the kids, a couple of the kids show back up. I think, I think all the kids show back up on that one. And uh, Lucy thinks she hears Aslan, who's a picture of Jesus. And so she wanders off, and she eventually sees Aslan, and she makes this incredible statement. C.S. Lewis, oh, he did such a good job on this thought. Lucy, who's now grown up a couple of years, sees Aslan and goes, Aslan, you've grown. And his response was, no, my child, you have grown. And C.S. Lewis was playing on this fact that there is something about the more that I grow, the more he grows. It's like, you know, when you're a little kid and, you, and you, your parents let you, as a little, you know, little toddler, get, get, you get to play in the baby section of the swimming pool, right? So you can splash around and throw water and all this stuff. But you realize that there's actually more water. And so as you get older, you're realizing, whoa, 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 there's a deep end? You mean I can actually go somewhere where I can't touch the bottom? And then you realize that that's only an imitation of the ocean. This thing just keeps getting bigger. And what if that was true with the love of God? And Paul, almost in this weird paradox, is saying, look, if you're rooted and grounded in him, yes, you have love. You are not lacking. And yet, because you are rooted and grounded in love, the person, I'm praying that you would somehow reach out and grab a hold of and somehow be able to comprehend the height, the length, the width, the depth, this immeasurable reality of that love in which you are rooted and grounded. So you are rooted and grounded. That means you're lacking nothing. And yet, while you're rooted and grounded, this thing is expanding. So could you somehow grab a hold of and mentally understand that which you cannot understand. What do you do with that? Uh, Jesus in Matthew 13 uh, is talking about the parables. And someone asked him, hey, why do, you, why do you keep giving parables? And he talks about the, the, the context for this verse <clears throat> is knowing the mysteries of the kingdom. Now listen to this. This seems like there's an interesting parallel with this idea of the mysteries of the kingdom and this idea of the love. But in Matthew 13, 12, Jesus says, For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. 
Now, again, it's talking about the context of knowing the kingdom and why he speaks in parables. But it's an interesting phrase that it's like, the more, the more I have, the more I'm actually able to receive, which makes me want to have more. Ah, it's like the Beatitudes, the hunger and thirst, thirsting after righteousness idea. So, hey, here I am, and I realize that I have a, I have a desperate need. And I'm hungering and I'm thirsting after righteousness. So I go after righteousness and and grabbing a hold of righteousness, I'm filled. I'm satisfied. But in the satisfying and in the fulfillment of righteousness, it expands my capacity, which causes me to be hungry and thirsty still. Which means I go after righteousness, and as I go after righteousness, I'm filled. But as I'm filled, it expands my capacity. That works with food. To a degree. Right? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. So what do I do? So I eat. And that expands my capacity. Now I'm hungry. So what do I do? I go and I eat. Which expands my capacity. Now there there is a limit. Physically. Because you can only... Before you... Okay? So there is a limit. Physically. But there is no limit spiritually. It's like that song, the more that I seek you, the more that I find you. And the more that I find you, the more that I love you. And the more I love you, the more I want to seek you again. And the more I seek you, the more I find you, the more I find you, the more I love you, and the more that I love you, oh, I just want to keep seeking you. And my favorite illustration for this, this isn't my illustration, my favorite illustration for this is the fat kid in a pool of chocolate. Love that illustration. I just want to be a little chubby kid in a swimming pool of chocolate. And if you were a chubby kid in a little pool of chocolate, you would only have one prayer. Lord, increase my capacity. (laughs) Wouldn't you? What if you had that with Jesus? What what if you were like a little chubby kid in in a pool of love and you said, Lord, would you increase my capacity? Could you somehow give me this overwhelming drive to go after you and hunger and thirst for you? And, and as I hungered and thirst after you, somehow you would, you would expand my capacity. But in the midst of expanding my capacity, I, I would want you more. And somehow, as I continually progress, I understand I am rooted and grounded in love. Therefore, I'm not lacking anything. And yet, because I am rooted and grounded in love, that should cause such an insatiable desire and hunger a burn within us that says, I, I want to experience the totality of his love. I want to experience the totality of his person. Hey, I want to experience the, the fullness of his life. So, hey, I am going to pursue, aggressively go after. I'm going to diligently seek with all of my being from this point until I'm dead. Well, what are you seeking? Him. I'm not seeking an experience. I'm not seeking an emotion. I'm not seeking a feeling. I'm seeking the person who is love. And somehow, as I begin to take steps forward, and as I diligently seek, I am beginning to experience and grab a hold of and comprehend more and more of the reality of of Christ. And yet, the more that I grab a hold of him, the more I realize I will never be able to fully grab a hold of him. But rather than intimidating me, or rather than shutting me down, that should cause a, 
a desire to well up within me that says, I'm going after it, even if I'm never going to be able to have it all. Isn't it interesting if, if, uh, if we gave you a homework assignment that said you need to read a thousand-page textbook, very dry, a whole bunch of legal stuff? Or I don't know if you ever had this experience where it's like, okay, I, spring cleaning, going to clean the house. And then you look at the house, and you're like, oh, this is going to take forever. So then you never start. Why? Because it seems too daunting. That's not this. See, this, even though it's unfathomable, even though this is incomprehensible, even though you'll never be able to reach the end and never fully be able to comprehend the height, the width, the length, the depth of the love of Christ, this shouldn't cause a passivity. This should cause a, oh, a, a great passion and desperation to say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give every moment of my life and I'm going after this thing as if I can have the totality. And Paul says, oh, do you, know what my, do you know what my desire for you is? That somehow you'd be able to grab a hold of, comprehend the totality. Now, I know that's impossible. But would you go after it? I mean, if I'm rooted and grounded, yes, I, I'm not lacking anything. But yet, in the midst of being rooted and grounded and not lacking anything, shouldn't that cause just this insatiable passion to rise up to say, I want, I want everything I can have? Uh, one, one scholar said it this way, we can never plumb its depths or comprehend its magnitude, speaking of the love. No matter how much we know the love of Christ, how fully we enter into his love for us, there is always more to know and experience. Amen. And yet, shouldn't that cause us, shouldn't that cause a burn? Shouldn't that just cause a desire? And you realize that is the very nature of love. That there's something about romance that should, that should cause you to desire, that cause you to spend time with, that cause, I, I just, I can't, I can't spend five minutes away from him. I just got to know Jesus. I just, I just got to go after him. I just, there's such a burn. There's just a, and you see that in, in people who are engaged. That they're in this la-la land, which really should not end after marriage. Theoretically. Why? Because you would think that the more you got to know someone, the more you love someone, this thing should only enhance and increase and just get better and better and better. And there's just a greater consuming desire of like, ah, oh, I love you more and I need to spend more time with you and I just got to. Do you have that with Jesus? Now, he overemphasizes that point by saying this in verse 19. He says that you are to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. So get this. You are rooted and grounded in love. So you're not lacking anything. You have Christ. Hey, he's dwelling in your hearts through faith. Hey, you've rooted and grounded yourself in him. But there should be this insatiable desire and consumption to somehow comprehend the incomprehensible. That you would somehow grab a hold of and know that which is unknowable. That you would just somehow just lay siege and just passionately pursue him with all that you've got. And Paul says, whoo, that somehow you would know the love of God which surpasses knowledge. The word there, know, oh, favorite Greek word. That word is gnosko, which is not informational. This is not uh, perception. This isn't just details and facts. 
That's not how we're to know the love of Christ. How are we to know the love of Christ? This is that word for knowing something through experience or relationship. So think about what Paul's saying. He's saying that I am rooted and grounded in love and that I would be able to comprehend and grab a hold of and lay siege the very thing that is incomprehensible. And that I am to not just know about the love of God, I'm actually to know the love of God. That I am to experience the love of God. I am to be in relationship with the love of God, which is a person. His name is Jesus. And that knowing, that experiencing the love of God surpasses knowledge. And that word there for knowledge, that word is the intellectual understanding word. So Paul says, don't just know all the facts about love and not experience it. What good does that help you? Uh, It's like sitting in a frozen tundra, studying a book about the tropical waters of the Caribbean. And you're like, oh, that's phenomenal. Paul's like, why would you do that? Just jump in the water. Get out of your winter tundra and go down and just experience it. Because you can learn all about the tropical waters of the Caribbean and never actually get in the waters of the Caribbean. And there is a difference. How do I know? Because I've seen pictures. That's different than jumping into it. And so if someone wants to help me experience that, let me know and I'll be happy to complete this illustration. Hey, there is a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There is a big difference between knowing about the love of God and actually experiencing the love of God. And Paul says, it's not that knowing about the love is bad. Because somehow you're, you're supposed to grasp, you're supposed to understand the length, the width, the height, and the depth. So we're not against the academics. But if all you have is the, the intellectual understanding of the love, that's not going to help you unless you experience it. And the information is to drive you to a greater experience, and the experience should drive you to a greater understanding of it. So they do work hand in hand, and we're not downplaying either one. But if you're going to pick one, you better experience it. And Paul says that that knowing the love of Christ far surpasses knowing about the love of Christ. And that word surpassing uh, it's, the, it's the Greek word hyperbolo. It's where we get the word hyperbole from. Uh, it shows up five times in the New Testament. Three of those is in the book of Ephesians. And the word, and I've used this illustration in the past, uh, but it was originally <clears throat> used for javelins, for throwing javelins, but I don't throw javelins. Uh, so disc golf, right? Uh, so I go to the disc golf course, and I go with Patrick because he plays. And We haven't gone yet, but we're going to soon. But I already know what's going to happen. I'm going to stand up there, because I've heard rumors of how Patrick plays. I'm going to stand up there. I'm going to take my disc, and I'm going to go, right? And it's going to go, I'm like, yes. That's good. But Patrick is going to stand up there. And he's going to take his disc. I've heard the rumors. And he's just going to go, and his disc is going to go,
And his disc is going to surpass mine. Don't say amen. Uh, That's this word. In fact, this word, right, it's where we get the word hyperbole from. The idea is, is it is such an exaggeration, it's almost laughable. So it's like I take my disc and I throw it 20 feet, which is typical. <laughs> we'll eventually get there, you know? So I throw my 20 feet. Patrick stands up and he throws it 10 miles. And you're like, that's exaggerated. That's his word. But when we're talking about the reality of Christ, it's not There is no exaggeration. So listen to what Paul says. Paul says, here you are, Christ is to dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ is to be the very center of your life. That the burning passion of your soul is to be Jesus. Oh, I am to be rooted and grounded in love, the person. So because he's the center of my life, I'm to sink my roots down deep into, and I'm to ground myself in that person. So therefore, I'm not lacking nothing. But the fact that I'm rooted and grounded in him and the fact that he's the very center of my life, that should just cause this overwhelming passion and desire to go after and somehow grab a hold of and lay siege and comprehend that which is incomprehensible, the love of Christ. And I am to wrap my mind around and I am to experience the love of Christ which goes so far beyond just having the intellectual understanding of it. Do you have that? And I, and I know most people in this room have, have grown up in the church. And, and isn't it interesting? You grow up in the church and we know, we, all, we know all the facts. We know the details. We know when to stand up. We know when to sit down. Hey, we, we know the Bible quizzing answers. Hey, we know the Bible. We know the stories. We know the... But have we actually experienced... For you to experience the overwhelming love of God, it's going to demand surrender in your life. It's going to demand you coming before the one who is love and saying, Lord, I need you. It's it's going to demand you getting really close to the edge of that swimming pool and just saying, Lord, push me in. Would you let him woo on your heart? Would you let him pull on you? Would you let him just suck you in? Will you just let him just go crazy in your life? Well, I know all about love. I know all about Christ. No, you don't, because you need to experience it. And if you begin to experience it, you begin to realize that this thing is far greater than you could ever imagine. But the fact that it is so greater should cause a burn within you that just says, God, I I have to know you. I just, I'm not going to be satisfied until I know you more. And so, Lord, as I love you, could you somehow give this overwhelming desire to seek you. And as I seek you, I want to find you. And as I find you, oh, I want to love you more. And as I experience your love, I just want to keep going after you. Do you have that in your life? Do you have that burn? Do you have that insatiable desire for Jesus? One of my favorite Andrew Murray quotes, uh, someone came up to Andrew Murray and says, are you satisfied in Jesus? And Andrew Murray said this. He says, with every fiber of my being, I will say I am satisfied in Christ in this moment. But let us never hesitate to say this is only the beginning. Are you satisfied? Yes, I'm so satisfied. 
But in the midst of me being satisfied and filled with him and experiencing his love, it somehow just increases my capacity. And now I just, I just want to go after him more. I just want to love him more. I just, I, I got to have more. So I go after him and he somehow fills me and I experience him more. And, and somehow in the experiencing of who he is, I just, it increases my capacity. So I just have to keep going after him. And I'm just like this little chubby kid in a pool of chocolate who, whose only prayer is, God, would you, would you keep expanding this thing? Would you just keep going? Oh, would you just... And yes, I'm satisfied. I am satisfied. But would you, like Andrew Murray, say, but this is only the beginning. There is so much more. And would you realize that Paul is praying that you would be able to comprehend that which is incomprehensible, that you would radically get a hold of and seize and grasp and experience Jesus? We need that. Pray with me. Lord, Paul says in Romans 5 that, that your love has been poured out. It has been lavished within our hearts through the Holy Spirit which you have given to us. That you, according to 1 John chapter 4, is love itself. That you don't merely have love, you are love. And you're not some feeling, you're not some emotion. Hey, we do not worship the, the goosebumps and, and the, the emotional, woo. But Lord, I want to experience you. I want to be lost in your love. I, I want to comprehend that which is incomprehensible. I, I want to know that which goes far beyond just knowing about. Lord, like Andrew Murray, I want to say I am satisfied in Jesus, but, but oh, this is only the beginning. Lord, I, I want to be that little chubby kid in a pool of chocolate whose only prayer is, oh God, increase my capacity. Lord, what this generation needs is men and women who are just obsessed consumed, diligently seeking after, running, pursuing Jesus. Lord, what would it look like? And I, and I know we're not lacking anything because if we're rooted and grounded in you, I, I, I understand that we have that, all that we need for life and godliness. But Lord, it's, it's like somehow as I, as I extend my roots and realize that I'm grounded in you, I begin to realize there is so much more to who you are that Lord, I want to burn for you. I want this overwhelming consumption. I want to drive. I just want this thing to boil up within me that just cannot, I just cannot resist it. And Lord, I don't want this just to be a Sunday morning thing. I don't want this just to be a Sunday morning, Wednesday night kind of a thing. God, I want this to be a moment by moment by moment by moment by moment consumption in my life. That somehow I would just keep going after you and you would just keep expanding in my life and I would just start, wow, I'm just living in this reality, being overwhelmed as I experience your life and your love. And Lord, what would it look like if I was so filled up with your life, so filled up with your love, that I just couldn't contain it any longer, and it would just ooze out of every pore of my body, that it would just seep through my mind, it would slip out of my lips, it would just be the consumption of my being, and like you told the disciples, I would be known for my love. Lord, somehow could you give us the ability to comprehend and grasp that which is incomprehensible, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to experience your love 
which so surpasses the information of it, so that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Jesus, we need this. We desperately need this in our culture today. So Lord, would you start with the people in this room and will you just, again, will you just bring us to a place? Would you cause a yearning for us to come before you and surrender and just say, Lord, I, I need you and I want you and would you remove any, any and everything in our lives that would just hinder and distract and any of that chaff that needs to be removed and any addictions and any habits and any sin that must be, must be radically transformed? Lord, will you just take our lives and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee? And Lord, oh, would you let us experience Your love on a level that we've never known possible. But as we experience it, would you let us realize there's still so much more. Love you, Jesus. Oh, so good. We need this. We want this. We love you. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.